Dotnet Rocks episode 857 with guests Andreas Hilkinson and Stephen Robbins. Recorded live Friday, March 8th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone 7, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl, it's Richard, it's good. It's cold in the Northeast, and let's see, uh, it's overcast and drizzly in in Vancouver, right? You are mistaken, sir. No! It is bright and clear and beautiful and full of pollen, and I want to die. One of the three days per year, That's perhaps. it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, so why would you say something about the Pacific Northwest, the seasons? You said there was a... Uh, There's occasional the interludes of sun and snow between the rain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was a joke there. I don't know. I'm sorry. I failed that. Anyway, better know framework. All right. What do you got? What I got is a graphics library for JavaScript oh, called really? Raphael.js. Have you guys heard of it, Steve, Andreas? Uh, no, I don't think so. Wow. Yes. I schooled our <laughs> guests on something. Um, <laughs> Raphael is a small JavaScript library that should simplify your work with vector graphics on the web. If you want to create your own specific chart or image crop or in rotate widget, for example, you can achieve it simply and easily with this library. It's R-A-P-H-A-E-L-J-S dot com. There it is. And the samples are pretty cool. So check it out. Richard, who's talking to us? I grabbed a comment off of show 848, and that's the one we did with Mike Hadlow talking about RabbitMQ and EasyNetQ. Yeah. And this comment comes from Edward Bray, who says, The discussion about dynamically allocating computing instances, because we were talking about, you know, dynamic scaling with the, with the cloud, mm-hmm. brought back memories of my control systems classes in engineering school. Yeah. It seems we should be able to apply classical digital control systems algorithms like PID loops and Z transforms to scaling servers. Spinning up a server instance is analogous to moving an engine throttle stepper motor one notch to increase the fuel and oxygen rate in response to the increased load. Jeez, dude, what engine are you using that you're adjusting (laughs) fuel and oxygen rates? Uh, Respond too slowly and the performance is sluggish, overdamped, too quickly and the system becomes unstable, underdamped. And you know my passion for all things av aviation. This is certainly an issue when it comes to turbine engines. You cannot dump too much fuel in them too quickly, or they will explode. Yeah. And if you cut the throttle too quickly too, they can violently backfire and blow themselves apart. So you have to actually dampen throttles very carefully. It's a it's a fine set of technology. Uh, in both compute and physical domains, the goal is to have resources match load. The good news is that compute systems are among the easier control systems to deal with, since having too many resources doesn't cause instability, it just costs money. Similar to generating electricity in a system with a resistor bank to burn off excess. It's great to see how fundamentals keep coming around again. We learned all that for a reason. And I completely agree. That's, I mean, you know, there's a reason they call it utility computing that you get to treat it like a utility that you just add more and remove and remove some depending on what you need. Uh, it, it's not that granular, mind you, 
but then you don't have to have it perfectly loaded every time. So, uh, Edward, I'm with you, man. It's all good. And, it's, and you know, it comes back to the fact that so much software is looking more and more like engineering as time goes by. So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or on the mobile apps for iPhone, Android, and Windows Phone. You can write a comment right there and it will appear on the site. And if we read it, you'll get a mug too. Absolutely. Before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, such as those who appear on our show. They release 12 to 15 new courses every month, offer a free 10-day trial, 200 minutes. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, Nancy, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including JavaScript, jQuery, and other client-side frameworks. Try Pluralsight today. Subscriptions start just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce our guests. Andreas Halkensen is a senior software engineer based in Sweden. He is an active participant of the open source community, both as a contributor and as the creator of projects such as Common Service Factory, MefContrib, and Nancy. Andreas can be found tweeting regularly using at TheCodeJunkie, and he also managed to blog every now and then at TheCodeJunkie.com and ElegantCode.com. Stephen Robbins is a technical architect based in Cheshire in the UK, mainly working on software for the education industry. He is heavily into community, founding the Manchester Next Gen user group back in 2009, that's NXT Gen, in 2009, and is a major advocate of open source, working on projects such as Tiny IOC and Nancy. He blogs occasionally at grumpydev.com and can be found tweeting far too much at grumpydev. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Through the miracle of Skype, and and we'll pray to the Skype gods that we have a clear, clear internet for the next hour. Across the pond. Which doesn't happen very often. Well, we'll do the best we can. <laughs> Skype, when Skype is good, it's very, very good. And when it's bad, oh, man. It's horrid. <laughs> well, let's talk Nancy. Now, um, before we talk Nancy, we probably have to talk Sinatra. Do we not? Because wasn't what aren't the two? Uh, isn't the word Nancy sort of related to Sinatra? Uh, yeah, the the naming is, and the framework is uh, inspired by uh, Sinatra. Um, so Sinatra is a, a Ruby framework that's significantly less lightweight than than the likes of Rails. So it basically gives you a, a concise syntax where the the root that you're defining is next to the code that's going to execute when you hit that root. And that's kind of what inspired Andreas initially to create Nancy, and then I got on board, and then it's gone from there, really. And so, if that's what Sinatra is, what is Nancy? So Nancy is a, a C-sharp uh, .NET web framework. It can be used for creating websites with views and razor views and that kind of thing, or HTTP-based services returning JSON, XML, custom content types. Um, so similar in features to MVC and Web API combined. Uh, but one thing that we bring to the party is our sort of concise syntax and what we like to call the super duper happy path, which I've got to get into the podcast at least five times. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Come clean. What is it? The super duper happy path. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a phrase that, uh, that we coined a couple of years back. Um, and what it basically means is that, 
everything should just work. Everything you should just pull out the box. You should be able to get up and go in with with no configuration. Um, Nancy should get out of your way. So the when you're writing your application code, you should be writing your application code and hardly any Nancy code. Um, but if our defaults and our settings don't work for you, it should be extremely easy to reconfigure, to twist it to the way you want to work and unplug things, plug other things in. Um, so, I mean, just to give an example, if you sort of fire up a new uh, Nancy application, you can add a Nancy module, you add a constructor dependency to that and we'll automatically resolve that dependency for you and inject it via constructor injection without you having to configure anything. But if you do want to change the configuration of the container, change lifetimes, that kind of thing, it's extremely simple to do that. So it's the convention that you uh, supply out of the box that makes you makes it easy to get up and going. Yeah, and then extremely simple for you to reconfigure if you need to, and then combine that with the, the concise, readable syntax that we provide. It should make web development fun on .NET. That's the idea. And um, apparently there's a – so is would you call uh, the super-duper happy path uh, a DSL or the, the way that you access it through a, through a domain-specific language? It's more of a a way of thinking when we develop Nancy and we build new features. And uh, like Steven said, stuff should just work out of the box. There should be a sensible default configuration set up for you. There should be low ceremony to get stuff working the way you want it. I see. Low friction. So it's so it's super more duper happy path is not, yeah. It's not a technology. <laughs> you never know no, with you it's guys more like, though. Yeah. It's the measuring stick that we use for every new thing that we add to the framework. So is, is this compliant with the super duper happy path? <laughs> if it's yes, we can put it in. If, if not, then we either throw it out or we revert, well, we, we figure out how to get it super duper happy path compatible. I get it. <laughs> uh, we even get pull requests that say, I've implemented this feature, but I'm not sure it's SDHP. Could you take a look? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and we actually have people commenting on, on stuff that we put in for our, our next release or for our previous release and said, I mean, this shouldn't be the way it is. I mean, it's not super duper happy path enough. Could we not change it like this and this and and ship it like that instead? So people are really getting on board. All right. So let's step back and talk about some of the core features here. Um, besides just the, the ease and simplicity of use, you know, why would somebody choose to use Nancy over the web API MVC for a stack? Um, I mean, one of the one of our core sort of selling points really is the the syntax that we can provide. Um, it does make things more fun, I think, than than working on MVC and and Web API. So we try and we do a, jump through a lot of hoops with C Sharp and fight the compiler a lot to try and get to a a really clear, concise syntax. So much so that you can actually fit a working Nancy application in a single tweet. Um, including what? all the namespace declarations and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so that, that, that's how concise it is. <laughs> Wait a second. You fit an app into a tweet? Uh, you could yeah. get the basic yeah, about, hello world. About a year or so ago, we, we did that. So. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right. So the terseness is is a feature. So let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, just, just to give an example, um, if you've got a module that it's got you know a number of routes in it, but you want to secure them. Um, to do that, all you do is in your module constructor, you just type this dot requires authentication, 
and that's it. So even if you've never seen Nancy before and you open that up for the first time to read through it, it should be pretty obvious that that module requires authentication. Mm. It's not an attribute. It's not anything security policy or anything like that. It's just pretty much plain English. I like it. it does seem pretty happy. <laughs> Super duper happy. <laughs> <laughs> So this is still running inside of IIS, like you're not replacing the web server, or you're not even really replacing ASP.NET? We're actually uh, not tied to any form of hosting at all. We're okay. completely disconnected from that. So uh, Nancy was built not to have a dependency on, on system.web or uh, uh, HTTP.sys. So what we provide uh, in Nancy is a concept that we call hosting, which is basically... Uh, can think it of as, as a bridge between uh, like a web server and Nancy, so it, it it's responsible for uh, marshalling the um, communication between the two. Mm -hmm. So in the case of running Nancy on IIS, the bridge uh, or sorry, the host is actually just an HTTP module that converts the uh, HTTP web request object into a Nancy request object, fires it, uh, shoots it into Nancy then um, waits for the response and converts it back out to uh, an HTTP web response. Wow, mm. uh, and we have uh, we have several uh, hosting implementations to run Nancy on on IIS. We have self hosting. You can run it on top of WCF if you want to, um, and and you can write custom hosts so you can embed Nancy in your application if you want, like in a WinForm application or or in a, in a service application, sorry, like a Windows service. Mm -hmm. Or we're also uh, uh, compatible with the OWIN specification and committed to making Nancy always run well on OWIN. For but those who haven't run across OWIN, can we talk a little bit about what OWIN is? I think that's Steven's specialty. <laughs> uh, so OWIN is um, it's a specification for defining something similar to what we just spoke about, the, the hosting abstraction. Um, it's similar to something like Rack on Ruby, where things like Rails and Sinatra rely on Rack, and then Rack itself plugs in whatever hosting underneath. So it's been around for a, for a couple of years in various forms, but it's it's taken a lot of momentum recently because Microsoft have got involved. They're working on what they call their Katana project, which is the server pieces of OWIN, uh, but for IIS, for HTTP Sys, and for self-hosting, so they will be optimized, battle-hardened, as all the Microsoft software is, um, but enable you to just plug in any OWIN-compatible framework or middleware. So it's not just server to Nancy, for instance. You can create a, a pipeline where it goes through, if the request is this, it goes to this. If the request is that, it goes to that. So we've had people use that to have a single application running on top of IIS, for example, that has SignalR and Nancy in the same application. Oh, wow. Right. In fact, the, the, the Jabber application, which is um, the chat system that, that David set up, that's actually using that. It's running on OWIN, and it, the HTML is served by Nancy, and obviously all the WebSocket side of it is served by SignalR. And it's, it's, relatively, it's really easy to set up, in fact. It's just a few lines of code. It's all configured in code. Wow. And, and off it goes. But it doesn't sound like, um, because you guys have got direct support for ASP.NET and even WCF, you don't really need to use Owen to use Nancy. You'd use the, uh, you'd use Katana to run other Owen services on IIS. 
Am I crazy? Yeah. Um, you can anything that's OWIN compatible can run on any OWIN compatible server. Right. We are OWIN compatible. We also have our own hosting. At some point, we may well migrate from our own hosting to be all in on on Owen. Yeah, it's, it feels like you guys have done the hard work supporting all these different platforms. And now that Microsoft's finally on board with Owen, like you could simplify your own work here. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the plan, yeah. We haven't talked about mono. We're fully mono compatible. We have a, a project where one of our main goals is to be compatible both on .NET and mono framework. So we have several people that are, are both developing features and, and applications with Nancy on mono and hosting uh, on Linux servers. Uh, using things like Nginx or Apache. So this is crazy, but you could theoretically host it in an iPad app. We've never tested it on MonoTouch. Um, theoretically, you could, um, but obviously with the restrictions of runtime compilation and stuff, it may or may not work. But certainly we've got people that have bedded them in WPF apps, Windows Forms apps, to provide a, a web interface for configuration remotely, that kind of thing. Mm. Um that works yeah, quite running well. it like on on the Raspberry Pi is also an option. Yeah, so you know, you basically can be the web service for a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, it's sure. A cool well, idea because, because should, we can, you hit it on right there. Just you know, everybody likes a web server for configuration. I just point a browser at the device, and I you now I can set things up. This is a seems like a really lightweight to put that on almost any kind of hardware. I think uh, lightweight is a is a key word as well because the the Nancy core the the Nancy NuGet package is. It has no dependencies outside of core.net. It just takes client profile on .NET 4. And the the additional features, things like the hosting, um, things like the different serializers, things like authentication, they're different NuGet packages. So all you need to do to configure those is if you create a new application, a new Nancy application, and you're going to host on IIS, then you pull down Nancy, you pull down Nancy hosting ASP.NET, and all that wires itself up automatically. You then require forms authentication. Just install the nancy.authentication.forms NuGet. That wires itself up and, and so on and, and so forth. So we, we heavily rely on NuGet. I think we've got about 15 or 16 different packages that are up there. And you just nice. pull, it, pull in whichever ones you want. And any ones you don't want, you just ignore them. I'm just trying to figure out, I mean, the big, how big is the core.net 4.0 framework? Just thinking about how much memory we need to pull all this off. The client We've side. had people... We, we, We've had people run Nancy on, um, I think it's a Debian server at like 30 or 40 megabytes. Jeez. I love this, right? Yeah. Like now, you, once, you're, once you're under gigabyte, like RAM is so insanely cheap. It, and, it, you know, now you, this should be in my dishwasher. <laughs> I'm a coffee maker. <laughs> there you go. The installer version for, the standalone installer version of the .NET Framework 4 server core is 48 megs. But you're built with the .NET Framework client profile, right? Yeah, which is 20-something, I think. Off the top of my head. Yeah. Not a whole lot. No, it's small. It's just... It's cool. It's very cool. It, immediately, we're going off to the weird hardware path. But what I like about this is I can develop it on my normal set of gear, my normal way, and I should be able to pick it up and put it anywhere I want. Yep, that's the idea. That is the idea. So we have people that uh, managed to get Nancy applications run on Heroku, which isn't well, a tra traditional hosting environment for .NET or Mono applications. So you can run it on Heroku using Mono. Right. 
So yeah, yeah, you're over on Heroku. Uh, clearly, Azure is going to be easy for this. Uh, on you know, I I can't see any platform you couldn't get to. If you can get Mono to run, then you're fine. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. have uh, our continuous integration servers. We actually have one running .NET and one running Mono to make sure that we're always compatible with every release we put out. Right. So what are we get, really getting rid of here? Are we really getting rid of ASP.NET? Is that the problem? I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with ASP.NET, but it is quite a, a big, bulky beast. Um, right. There's a lot to it that perhaps you don't need. Um, it's perhaps a bit enterprisey. I don't know whether that's even a word, but um, some of the stuff that you you need to do and the amount of code that you need to write to do something in MVC may well be sort of a single line in Nancy. Right. So we're not saying don't use MVC. We're not saying don't use Web API. What we're saying is give give Nancy a try or any of the other open source uh, web frameworks and see if they can they can give you the developer mojo back because I'm, I'm sure we've all been at that place where you're so fed up of the, the day-to-day grind of the applications that you're writing that you lose any, any will to do uh, coding outside of work or community work or that kind of thing. And, and hopefully something like Nancy can can re-energize and give you your your C sharp mojo back, as it were. All right, we're gonna have we have to get into model binding and the the super simple view engine and all that stuff because there's a lot of things under the hood here. Let's uh, let's start with just um, with that the the view engine. Okay, so the the super simple view engine is something that we added a year or so ago. Uh, initially, it was only so we had some kind of view engine in the box so we could render our diagnostic views. So Nancy has a, a built-in Nancy website, so it's Nancy and Nancy, sort of a, an inception thing going on. And we needed some way to, to render those views. So it's got a, a razor-like syntax, but the entire thing is essentially just a series of regular expressions. So it's it's relatively quick. It's very simple, and it gets you know, 99% of the way there for a lot of the stuff that we, we use it for. And it's certainly powerful enough to do our, our diagnostics. It just means there's no need to bring in another DLL. There's no need to bring a razor along. You can just render views straight away just with the core Nancy DLL. And so what would a, what would a typical scenario look like here with that? I mean, I don't want you to be reading lots of code, but, you know, a couple simple examples. It uh, it takes its syntax from from Razor, so it's extremely familiar to anyone who's done sort of MVC or Razor work. So you you create a HTML file or a, an SS HTML file, and then you just put at model um, dot name, and that will put the the name in. Um, you've got at if um, at for each, you know those kind of things. Mm. It's not as fully featured as Razor because it is essentially a regular expression rather than a full parser. Hmm. But when you read through the views and when you write them, it is extremely similar to, to writing Razor code. So it's not actually Razor, but it's Razor-ish. Yeah, we I, I made the decision so it's uh, it's comfortable for, for the average .NET dev to, to use it. And it also means that if you do use it and you do hit a limitation, it's pretty straightforward to then switch to Razor instead. Right. And because it's regex-based, does that make it extensible? Uh, it's not extensible. Um, we've added various bits and bobs to it as we've gone along. Um, one of the the biggest restrictions because it's regex based is the lack of uh, nesting. So you can't, for instance, put an if inside an if because then it's the it's difficult to match which end if goes with which end if. If that makes sense. Okay. Um, so there is a, there is a way to do that with the the .NET 
regex parser but i read the msdn docs and it blew my mind so i gave up <laughs> <laughs> wow well regex is his own thing right what's the joke it looks like i had a, a problem i tried to solve it with regex now i have two problems i had a problem i tried to use regex and now i have a cartoon character swearing at me <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah just ship shipped out of the box and it's fully configurable and ext- extensible. All right. So Steven, you have forms authentication in the box. Yep. Uh, it's a separate NuGet. We've got forms authentication and basic authentication. Um, our forms authentication is pretty similar to what you get in MVC, but it's a, a bit simpler to use. So to configure it, you basically give it some uh, URL to, to return to for, for logins. You provide it some way to map uh, a user ID to the cookie GUID that you're going to get back because it mm. stores a GUID in the cookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then off it goes. So it's it's about two or three lines of code to set up. And then, as I mentioned earlier, you just put this dot required authentication in a module that you want to secure, and it will uh, it will just hook itself up. So, so it sounds very familiar to uh, ASP.NET developers then. Are there any are there, are there any real differences? I think the the main difference, which throws a few people, is we have a concept of a a user mapper. So in our client side cookie, we only ever store a GUID. So rather than potentially store the person's username or a user ID, although the the cookie is encrypted and it's got a HMAC on it to make sure it's tamper proof, obviously security and layers and, and that kind of thing, we actually store a GUID. So if anyone does manage to crack the cookie, if anyone does manage to reconstruct a valid cookie, they're going to have to guess a GUID to try and escalate privileges rather than just changing their username to admin or something like that. Right. So that throws a few people who say, why are we using a GUID? But better safe than sorry with security. So. And is the, is the GUID just like a temporary token for that session or is it actually mapped to something? It's entirely up to the the people writing the applications, really. We've got people who use it as a, a temporary sort of in-memory mapping between an actual user and a real user, right. and other people put them in the in the database tables as an additional field. So when you create a new user, generate a new GUID, and then use that, then you use it as a token. I mean, it's always yeah. the risk of the man in the middle attack, but that's a different thing, right? It's more about escalation of privileges. Yeah, yeah. So I think there was the there was the issue with ASP.NET a while ago, wasn't there, where they could predict. Was it the Oracle vulnerability where they could actually crack open the cookie and then recreate a valid one? Mm, right. So people could just change the username to admin. So, But unless you can guess GUIDs, then we won't have that problem, Touchwood. <laughs> and guessing GUIDs is so much fun. <laughs> That's what I like to do in, on the weekends. Yeah. I, I just write them out by hand, you know. And mem- memorizing so, GUIDs, that's fun too. <laughs> so one thing that I'd like to point out about our, our authentication uh, strategy in general is that when you say do you have forms of authentication it's like you can say yes we do but it's not hardwired into NASA. like steven said it's just a nougat that you pull in and that nougat in turn uses extensibility points like our application or, um, or lifetime uh, pipelines in nancy so if you're not happy with how we do forms of authentication or, or if you need a different kind of authentication mechanism you could just write your own and pl- plug it into the pipeline and you're not you don't have to use ours we just provide those for for convenience right it's it's there yeah. it's up to you whether you use it or not so for instance there is a, a, an awesome framework called 
I think it's called World Domination Authentication, which, which is written by um, people in, in the community. So it, it, it basically, they could just hook up to our pipeline with a, a couple of lines of code and their framework authentication framework works with Nancy and you can use that to do social media, so, social website and, uh, logins like Facebook login, Twitter login, GitHub login and stuff like that. And it's just a couple of lines of code to integrate with Nancy. I just love that it's called, it really is called worlddomination.web.authentication. <laughs> That's hilarious. <Yep. laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's a great framework. People should check it out. I think, uh, yeah, Jabber uses it uh, as well now. I, I, and I'm grabbing these links to to add to the show notes as we go along here. <laughs> but, right. You know, it's like, wow, naming. It's a thing. Hey, Richard, <laughs> you know what time it is? Ah, oh, it must be that happy time again. It's the middle of the show. It's when we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, I got to tell you that Telerik's Kendo UI is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites in mobile apps. In the complete integrated package, you will find a jQuery-based toolset that includes rich UI widgets, a powerful data source, dynamic data visualizations, and blazing fast micro-templates, all backed by industry-leading professional support. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com slash D-O-T-N-E-T to find out more about Kendo UI or download the free 30-day trial with support. Don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. And now, the winner of today's DevCraft Complete Collection is Nick Miller. Ah, congratulations, Nick. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap and, for Nick. And Kendo UI is in that bundle, so you got a copy of it. Certainly do. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, enter the answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members. You could win a DevCraft Complete Collection. And every December, we give away five grand. I think that's five large for you guys of uh, uh, worth of technology to a lucky member of the fan club. So like we'd like to ask our guests, if you could spend $5,000 or close to 5,000 euros on, uh, on technology, what would it be? What would you get, Andreas? Oh, my God. 5,000 big ones. I'm not going to say how many kroner that is because I can't do that kind of math real quick, but. Well, five thousand kroners or five thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars is about thirty thousand kroners, I think. All right. So, what would you get? Yeah, what would I get? You can get lots of things too, right? Like uh, one of the packages we put together last year, although the, the our winner didn't choose it, was uh, one of every tablet and phone. I know what you'd get. A brand new IKEA bedroom set. <laughs> I some, still have money left. With some meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I don't know what I'd get for that amount of money. To be honest, I'm probably just buy more stuff for what I for my machine. More stuff for your machine, not a new machine, but stuff for your machine. That must be a heck of a machine. I get a Mac for once. Might my, 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 uh, pay for a Mac. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you can spend that kind of money on a Mac, especially the, with the big pros. Yeah. With a full load on it. You can spend that's that a, on that's a MacBook. That's a ton of cash. You, you can spend that on a MacBook Air if you put a big SSD in it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> if you got the Retina display and you load it up, yeah, you can, although they're generally not expandable, right? Like you pretty much get them as they are. I think I'd get a second tablet. Okay. What about you, Steven? 
Uh, I think I'd go for the, the one of everything, all the tablets, all the phones, and then a, a 64-port USB hub to plug them all in. <laughs> <laughs> I found a 49-port one. Really? Yes. <laughs> uh, that's like 600 watts of power supply, by the way. Send me the link to that. What are you going to do with that many USB ports? You could hurt somebody. I have lots of hard drives. <laughs> And the bus speed's got to be a problem. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, Doug Seven did work, doing the work on where he's literally running one of every tablet that he needed. We were looking for really large numbers of USB ports. But you just forget each one of those provides power. And when you get that many of them together, it's a lot of power. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you, think I'll probably get, get a few the... bottles of whiskey as well because I like to drink and code. So that counts. <laughs> <laughs> Not us. No, you don't, we don't drink at all. I also get the uh, the added pleasure of uh, failing to insert the USB connection 48 times in a row. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. The cable's always the wrong way around. I like to drink and code, but not necessarily in that order. Um, uh, let's talk about the, the uh, diagnostics dashboard because this is a pretty cool feature. Uh, so we added that. Uh, a bit over a year ago, I think. So the the idea is, in the Nancy DLL, we host a, a Nancy application. Well, it's a backbone application with a Nancy backend, so it's built into the Nancy uh, DLL. So whenever you build a Nancy application, you get you can enable a dashboard, a diagnostics dashboard. So you you'd browse your uh, web website URL. Um, slash underscore nancy it's the default one url and you'd get a uh, a dashboard dashboard where you could monitor your application at, at runtime you could get like request tracing and you can also alter um, configuration of the framework and runtime um, see versions of stuff that it's it's discovered like wh- which view engines are wired up and uh, wh- what other nancy packages are available is there an API to um, to write to that from your from within your app? Is it easy to do that? We have um, what we call the the interactive diagnostics, which is part of the diagnostic dashboard. And um, this sounds complicated to explain, but it is pretty straightforward. What you do is, if you've got a, a class, and we've got several classes inside the Nancy framework that, that actually have this built in, you write a, a body class that has a series of methods on it that poke around in the internals of your real class. And those are exposed via the dashboard as, as forms that you can fill in. So for instance, our, our root matcher that's decides which route to invoke that has a method on its body class where you can just type in a URL um, and click the go button and it will show you which routes were selected, which routes weren't selected and, and why. So you can, you can do that with your own code. So, you can use this to poke your code to get back some results. Uh, we can display them as as JSON, or you can specify a handlebar template to make it look a bit prettier. Mm. Or you can have a separate method, say if you wanted to clear your caches or something like that, you could just add one of these buddy classes, go into the interactive diagnostics, click the button, and it will execute that code for you and, and clear all your caches down. Mm. So it's something that we we will be building on as we move forward. There's there's four or five in there at the moment, but it's it's quite a powerful way of enabling you on a on a live system to tinker around with with what's going on behind the scenes. So you were were you talking about the diagnostics provider has uh, the way that you create your own classes through i uh, through the i diagnostics provider interface? 
Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's been a while since I wrote one. So, so you, I mean, you don't have to poke at your application code if you don't want to. You could write one of those implementations and you could use it to, I don't know, retrieve uh, some information about your database. I mean, what's yeah, the sure. uptime of my database? And it could re- just return uh, a daytime with the uptime or a time span or, or, or whatever you want. Yeah, sure. If you have um, some particular numbers that you're looking to collect and uh, and report on, there you go. Yeah, number of logged in users or you know that kind of thing. That's quite easy to set up. Sure. And then because we allow you to specify a, a handlebar template to generate HTML, you can make quite a, a pretty looking report from it as well. All right. So, what other security features do you have? I'm uh, I, I know there's some sort of um, cryptography helpers or something like that that uh, that you have for encryption yeah so out of the box um, the cryptography configuration that we'll use uh, generates a, a random encryption key every time the application starts up hmm. so rather than have a static key in Nancy which people would even though you tell them not to people would deploy that into production uh, we go with the secure by default option of generating a random key. We can't use the machine key or machine.config because that's not in client profile, uh, so we couldn't use that. But then if you want to then move, obviously, to a, a server farm or if you repeatedly restart the application domain, obviously that will invalidate all of the cookies and things that are encrypted with that key. So we provide one that gives you a, a passphrase key generator. So you give it a complicated passphrase, and it then generates the key from that. So you get the same key every time. Sure. Uh, and those those keys are used both for uh, encryption and for for generating uh, HMAX, which I don't know whether the average listener will know what a HMAC is. But basically, all that does is if you give it a piece of data, it will sign that piece of data with this key, so you know that it's not been tampered with. Hmm. Okay. And what about just general HTTPS? I mean, that is that something that you can support out of the box? Uh, yep, yep. Uh, it's hosting dependent. We don't really care whether it comes in via HTTP or HTTPS. We do have a helper method where you can say this dot requires HTTPS, which will ensure that you have HTTPS and redirect if it's on HTTP. But does that mean that you have to be sitting on top of HTTPS or you're providing your own? Uh, no, that comes from the hosting layer. So uh, with IIS, for instance, it just works out of the box. Uh, with self-hosting, there's a few hoops to jump through, um, but that's down to the way HTTPS is implemented in HTTP Sys. Um, but if you're running on IIS and you configure IIS to use HTTPS, it will just work with Nancy with no extra config. Right, yeah. I was, the main, I was the main think- thing you're concerned about is as long as you you can tell that you are in HTTPS so you can modify your behavior accordingly or redirect as necessary. Yeah, I was looking for yeah. that self-hosting, you know, like on a Raspberry Pi or something, if you wanted to support HTTPS, where there is no framework. You know, there is no web service, per se. Yeah, I mean, you, you can do HTTPS with the the self-hosting option, which uses HTTP sys, um, but it's a bit convoluted. You have to use um, command line tools to register certificates against um host names and, and that kind of thing. Um, it's the kind of thing you need to Google because no one ever remembers how to do it. But right. that's, uh, only that's do a it Microsoft once. stack thing rather than us. Sure. Yeah. yeah, if you're memorizing that sort of stuff, you need a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. 
There, now there are things that, you know, running my own server stack at home, there are things that I keep notes on about, okay, I figured out how to do this once. I'm not going to remember this. Write it down. And that's saying a lot for you, Richard Campbell. Yeah. I just, I, I, and it's more, I want to purge it from my mind. Right. I don't ever want to recall this ever. Yeah. And, and generally speaking, they involve certificates. There's something about certificates that makes you want to drink heavily. Forgettable. Yeah. Just painful. <laughs> Always painful. Hey guys, uh, can we talk a bit about testing in general? Just to, because we know we're introducing a whole layer here. How do we know it's working right? Yeah, I think our, so, our testing support is is one thing that we're that we're really proud of. It's it comes from because we're hosting agnostic, so we don't actually need a web server. Right. We've actually got a, a testing framework that you can that you can install that pokes Nancy directly. So it's actually a full end to end test. So it's as if it was running on a web server, but without the web server. So there's no sockets involved. There's no HTTP involved per se. Mm. And we provide you again a nice syntax. So it looks sort of like a web request. So we have a an object that we call the browser. So you new up a new browser instance. Nice. And then you just do browser.get and then the URL you want to go to, and that will return an object. And then we can do assertions based on that with uh, CSS selectors and, and things like that. So you can assert that certain items are visible in the HTML and that kind of thing, all in a nice, nice, concise, readable test. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the feature list of active reports. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active Reports from Component 1. Smarter Components for Smarter Developers. So after you, you get your response back from your browser object, it's, you've got a DOM available there to poke around in and see what's going on? Yeah, a DOM, or you can convert it into JSON and, and do it that way if you're using it as an API. Right. Um, you can also, from that same browser object, you can inject, inject mocks or fake objects rather than using the real ones. Um, so you can set up tests you know, a, a multitude of different ways, but the, the key thing is your test reads like a HTTP request. And you can right. chain them together so you can say, I want to post this username and password to this particular page, and then I want to click on the My Profile link, for instance, go to this URL, and it should take me to My Profile page and confirm that this div is visible and it's got my username in it, things like that. So you can chain them together. Cool. And, 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 but I can also run, I could basically simulate anything from previous pages so I can run each page independently. Yeah. Yes. And also, Stephen mentioned this briefly in the, in the beginning, but uh, we have a we're, we're Nancy's built around always having an IOC container around, but out of the box, you 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 don't know about it because it's just there and it where it does its magic. So we have a concept that we call the bootstrapper, which is responsible for composing the framework at runtime. So it probably sounds a lot more complicated than it is. But what this means is that you can swap out any part of Nancy with your own implementation. If there's something in Nancy that you don't like, you can just swap it out. Like I mean, literally anything. Uh, which also 
looking at it from a testing point of view, it also means that you can swap out parts of the framework for for uh, for mock objects or, or fake objects to simulate certain behavior in, in your code. And Stephen mentioned this, this the bootstrapper is also res uh, responsible for helping you satisfy constructor dependencies in your, in your Nancy modules. So again, using the, the testing framework, you can swap out these dependencies for your own uh, mocks and assert on them from your tests. And because also the last point is because Nancy is composed at runtime uh, and you can plug in your own stuff means that when you when you write that uh, implementation of let's say you have an ifu interface and you you create your implementation of that you can do normal unit testing for that for that class and, and build it in isolation then you can plug it into nancy and you can use our testing framework to to use it in end-to-end -end testing as well well and i love the idea that the bootstrapper sort of centralizes your ability to simulate or customize an environment for testing then it's just a script basically that says, okay, you're living in in this fictional world now where these things exist this way. Yeah, so out of the box, we provide the default bootstrapper, which is essentially built around tiny IOC that Steven's developed. Mm -hmm. uh, and we provide um, NuGets for implementations for the different containers like StructureMap, Windsor, Autofact, Unity, and Inject, I think, are the ones we support. Right. So if you if you pull one of those nuggets in, NAS will automatically detect that it's there, and it will make the assumption that you'll you're going to want to use that instead. Okay. So that's, that's really if, clever. And if you want to do customization, we don't provide any any sort of um, abstraction over the container. So there is no common uh, abstraction for uh, registration. We we give you, you you essentially inherit from the the bootstrapper class that you want to use. And you can override a couple of methods, like let's say, for instance, configure application container. Mm -hmm. One of the parameters that will be passed into that method for you to access is the actual container instance for that container type. So, like for Autofact, it would be an i lifetime scope, I think it's called, and and for Tiny IOC, it's an i container. So you get full access to the to the container instance for both the application and the request container. So what this also means is we have provided a an implementation called the configural bootstrapper, which is shipped with our testing stuff, which is, um, provides you with an even richer um, API for swapping parts out very with a very terse syntax and a very expressive syntax. So you could say like a new configurable bootstrapper and it takes a lambda with a nested closure that you could say, and that on that closure, you could swap out the view engine, for instance, or register a specific module or a dependency. So it's a very terse and readable test when you set up your environments. But just skimming the code, you'll instantly know what what the test is doing and, and using what. Yeah, it just seems like the, these two, the two pieces of of the bootstrapper for uh, configuring the IOC and the browser object for actually firing thing off makes really tidy testing. Yeah, I mean the bootstrap is used in the the main application as well. If you if you don't have your own, it will use the the default Nancy bootstrapper, which does an right. awful lot of auto discovery of types to wire up dependencies, that kind of thing. But then as soon as you add your own bootstrapper to your project, uh, Nancy will use that over the built-in one, and then you can start reconfiguring parts of it. So you you actually inherit normally from default Nancy bootstrapper, and if you just want to 
for instance, disable the auto-registration of dependencies. You can just override one method and turn that off. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to uh, add things to the um, execution pipeline, that's another method you override. There's, there's sort of five or six things you can override. Uh, but you can also, from your bootstrapper, uh, reconfigure the, the whole of the Nancy stack. As Andreas, Andreas mentioned, it's because it's uh, composed at runtime, you can actually unplug parts of Nancy and, and plug in other parts. So, for example, our standard uh, view location um, pieces look on the file system for views. So, obviously, you've got a Razor view. You've got it sat, sat in slash views on your file system. But you can swap that out and plug in one that uses embedded resources. So, it will actually look for an embedded resource inside your DLL. So, you can package up all of your views and your static content and that kind of thing inside your DLL. So you've got no files hanging around that people can, can look at and edit. So we right. do that for the diagnostics, but then you can go a stage further. We had a, a third, a third party contributed um, version of that view location that actually used uh, Raven DB. So all of the views were stored inside Raven. Um, so they were editable sort of like a CMS and then it pulled them out and cached them at runtime and, and went from there. And to actually implement that, I think, was only sort of 40 lines of code or something like that. And most of that was the Raven code. So it's it's quite it's quite good the way people take our composability and build things that we never would have imagined building in the first place. Well, and I just love the idea that you, because it's just composed at runtime, if you want to make a major change there, you just modify the config and restart it, and there you are. Yeah. And it also means that because we have the container, your your application bits and pieces are actually registered in the same container as Nancy. So at runtime, Nancy and your application are, are is the is the one and the same thing. So you you it's actually Nancy. I mean, it's more, almost like you're building it. Uh, Nancy's a DSL for building your own application framework. Yeah, it's got a very you know bootstrappy sort of I'm reconfiguring myself on the fly kind of way. Hey, can we talk about routing for a second? Because uh, in Web API, I know you know just like in MVC, you set up routes in a in a in a separate configuration, and then you um, can match those patterns in in your methods. But it seems like, if correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like with Nancy, you just create the methods, and you don't have any separate configuration that defines the routes. The method defines the routes. Is that how it goes? Yeah, so that's one of the things that we took uh, inspiration from the Sinatra framework is that we brought the the route, um, the actual route and the code that's going to be executed when that route is hit. We put them right next to each other. And we with the added um, um, feature that you also specify which HTTP method or verb that that will be valid for accessing that route. So a typical, uh, typical Nancy route is uh, starts with the verb so let's say get followed by a, an indexer um, syntax so you do uh, get and in the indexer you'd put your route say slash uh, hello and then you provide a, a lambda which is the body of the the, the the function that will be invoked during runtime when that route is hit so it, it's a very terse uh, and ex expressive syntax and it all lives right next to each other yeah, brilliant. Any time I can avoid an extra step, especially when it comes to configuration, I'm happy guy. And again, this is this is the default 
right. way of registering stuff. So we actually have a some a, an iNancy module interface that can provide your own registration mechanism. So that's the the lowest common denominator for for telling Nancy about which route declarations you have. So we actually have a, 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 a demo application in our solution for, for showing how we can customize that. And we have an uglified Nancy module class that you can inherit <laughs> from, which uses a different, um, different syntax that's method-based instead. <laughs> yeah. It's starting to feel like the super-duper happy path to me. Uh, that's what I was just going to say, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> So guys, what's coming next? Uh, what do you got on the on the plans for this uh, for Nancy? Um, we're getting reasonably close, I think, to a to a one which I think people have a, a bit of a bee in their bonnet about things that aren't one yet. But one of the one of the big things that's going to be coming uh, is async support. Uh, that's probably we're going to be doing an open beta of that in the next week or so, um, and then hopefully that will be released within a month or so. So we've had a few people ask for async support 99% of people that we've that we've got as users don't need it um but for those that do it's it's nice to add that in um so as far as the async's concerned it's a it's going to look very similar to a standard nancy uh route i can't pronounce it route because i'm english um <laughs> and you just put async in front of your lambda and then you can use uh, async await uh, inside your inside your route so you can await for call into another HTTP service or something like that and it will release the thread back to whatever hosting you're using for instance IIS um, or self-hosting or which, whichever one you're using so if you're building something that calls out to a lot of external services and then pulls that data back to actually send the response back to the client you'll be able to scale much better with the async version than than the synchronous version awesome yeah, I kind of think it's tricky to abstract that like, against those different hosts as to what that actually means to release that thread. Yeah, so Nancy's sort of entry point in, in Nancy Engine has always had uh, a synchronous execution and an asynchronous mm -hmm. execution with a callback. So depending on the hosting depends on, on which one it uses. Uh, for instance, Owen is entirely async task-based, so that always calls the async one. So if in the future we move towards uh, running on top of Owin and, and utilizing Katana more, then everyone will just get sort of async for free in inverted commas. Obviously, right. there's still there's still issues there just because they've uh, they've made it easy to shoot yourself in the foot doesn't mean you you're not going to. But uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, as far as far as the syntax goes, it should still read quite nicely, and it just lets you use async and await inside your your roots or inside the the pipeline somewhere. Well, guys, it's been a great hour. Thank you, and congratulations on such a great framework. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's been thank good. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, 
and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Yes, I'm a, a tired boy. Life is hard.